0: Have you ever had the uh, experience of not really appreciating something until it's taken from you? I think we've all experienced that, especially in the last, uh, however, several months. It looks a little more normal today, and uh, seeing Sunday school started, a little more normal there, too. Sometimes we take these things for granted, right? Church service, Sunday school... <clears throat> meeting, meeting with friends, going out to eat, all kinds of things, a handshake, better yet a hug, don't do that. We shouldn't take these things for granted, should we? I came across a booklet uh, on my bookshelf recently, and it kind of caught my attention because I was thinking about church and how how uh, restricted we were, at least a little further back. It's a little more looser today, a little less restricted, but I thought uh, maybe we should talk about church. And the book title, the little booklet title, was What is the Church? And I thought, why not investigate that? What, What is the church? What would God's Word say to such a question? And do we need to maybe change our thinking when we hear or use the word "church," what's the first thing what's the first thing we think about? Well, there's this building on Bay Avenue, right? Our meeting here together we call that doing church and several denominations might come to mind uh, all kinds of things When you hear the word "church," we associate those kind of things with that word. Should we maybe Think about church as God defines it in His Word. I found this study quite interesting, and uh, that's what I'd like for us to consider this morning. What does the word church mean to God? Or and how is it defined in the Scriptures? We hear all kinds of jokes sometimes. I uh, there's several churches on Pembina Avenue in Winkler. All in a row there, you know, they, they call that, what, the highway to heaven? You know, that's that's church. Highway to heaven. Too many. All kinds of... We take that street pretty much every time we visit our kids in Wankler. And there are, there are several churches in, lined up along there. And there's apparently a city in, in the States, too. I'm not sure what, what city it's in, but they call it Church Street. There's about uh, eight or nine churches on that street. And... Uh, before we get serious, I, I read this recently, too, talking about church. The uh, pastor in one of the churches had chosen as this topic for Sunday morning, uh, gossip. Gossip was this topic, and uh, the song leader chose for a closing hymn, I love to tell the story. <laughs> so I'm going to have to really watch myself when I'm choosing songs. <laughs> when Pastor Danny has a certain topic, maybe be careful, eh? <clears throat> The term church, as I said, it's a very popular topic in the, in the scriptures. Uh, I didn't research this, but I read that it occurs, the word church occurs approximately 110 times in the New Testament. 20 of these times, it refers to what we know as the church universal, and I'll explain that. The remaining 90 references are to, to local churches, as ours is, and uh, groups of believers meeting in specific areas regularly, and Paul's epistles uh, were written mostly to local churches. Pastor Danny is uh, leading us through Romans. Romans was written to the Roman church. So that church that word church is very, very uh, frequently used, but it's the church Universal we want to consider this morning. I'll, I'll be referring to To quite a few um, scripture passages as we go through this, Um, and it's the Word of God that's important, right? So I'll be looking at a lot of scripture. It's not my words that's important. It's God's Word that's important. The first one, our call to worship. Jesus says, I will build my church, not our church. Notice that? That's important. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." The church is here to stay. That's good news. The church is here to stay. It will continue as a vital force in the world until its mission is completed. In spite of, and we know this is true, ever-increasing persecution and opposition, more and more a reality in our day. We can't have the Bible in school anymore. We can't have this. We can't have that. It's, there's pressure being put on the church in our day. It's a truth. The truth's universal. Is it a building, as I said? No. Is it a denomination? Mennonite Baptist, Pentecostal? Or is it any group of people who meet like we are here this morning to worship God? The Bible says that it is none of these. The Church Universal is a spiritual entity, a spiritual entity, not limited to a single generation and not limited to a specific geographical area. Simply put, the Church Universal is that great host of people from Pentecost, which is usually spoken of as the birth of the Church, from Pentecost onward, people who have believed and have put their faith in the Lord Jesus and truly accepted him as their personal savior. All these are members of this vast company. God's word gives us four pictures or metaphors of what the church is. One is mentioned in the scripture reading for this morning in Ephesians 4, the body image. But there's four pictures in the New Testament or metaphors that are, are given, and they all begin with the letter B, so it's easy for you to remember. They all begin with the letter B. So I'll use them that way. The first B is for brotherhood. We might rather use the word family, but the, the scriptures are, they use the word brotherhood very uh, readily. 1 Peter 2:17. honor all men, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. Now, love the brotherhood. That's not just male, right? That's inclusive. The apostle Paul repeatedly in his letters to the churches addressed addressed believers as his brethren. Now I beseech you, brethren, the only way for anyone to be part of the divine brotherhood, the Church of Jesus Christ, is to be born into that relationship. You cannot join. Christ's church, you must be born into it. Only those who are born of the Spirit of God become partakers of Christ's nature and are indeed brethren. Hebrews 2:11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Even Jesus calls us brethren. Think about that. That, that is an amazing thought. Jesus calls me brother. Do you like that? That is an amazing thought. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to begun, become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This concept of brotherhood is alluded to even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray our father, not my father. Let's include everyone. As believers, we have received, as Ephesians 1 says, the adoption of sons. So we're brothers because we're sons. We're in the full position of sonship. Galatians 4, 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into, our, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In case, like I said before, in case you're concerned about the term brotherhood, not including our, our sisters in Christ, allow me to share a verse from Mark chapter 3, verse 35, where Jesus himself says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. God's family is accepting and doesn't exclude anyone. Jesus did not then and does not now show partiality. And being part of this spiritual brotherhood guarantees our inheritance romans 8 17 if children then heirs heirs of god joint heirs with christ do we really realize how privileged we are before we leave this section let me just say that because we belong to this spiritual brotherhood of believers we have a responsibility Toward every other believer John 1st John 3 14 we know That we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren He that loveth not his brother abideth in death We need to view every believer in Christ as a brother or sister in the family of God Are you part of this brotherhood? John 1 12 but as many as received him to them gave he power to become children of God. And before we go any further, yes, the church universal is a spiritual identity, Entity, I should say. Spiritual entity. But the visible church, us meeting here like this this morning, is also God's idea. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we read in Hebrews, we are to come to worship, we are come to come to fellowship, we are to use our spiritual gifts, we are to grow spiritually, and we are to evangelize the world. Next, the second picture metaphor is the body, which is referred to in the scripture reading for this morning in Ephesians. It's the primary reference there. And it's a, an interesting metaphor. Christ's church is a body. Ephesians 1, and 23, "...and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body." Christ is the head, and we are the body of his church. Also in Romans 12, "...for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ." And everyone members one of another. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes further For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, or Jews or Greeks, I should say, whether we be bond or free, today we might add whether we be black or white. We had quite an experience, this is quite a few years ago now, uh, there were the pastor of the Baptist Church was away one Sunday and was going to be away, and the job was given to me to find a speaker for that Sunday when, when the ba- pastor was going to be away. And our daughter was at Bible college just then, and so I thought, I'm going to give Jody a call and see if there's maybe a seminary student who would like to come from college and speak in Clarny. And she right away she says, I know just the guy for you. He's from, he's, he, he's from India, his name was Jason Abraham. He's a married student. He's got a wife and two little kids, a little boy and a little girl. And uh, he, he would do a great job. You should invite him. So I said, well, give me his phone number. So I phoned him up, and I, he had never even heard of Clarny. He had no idea where he was going. I said, well, you're going to have to get up early to get here in time for the service. And, uh, but he agreed to come. But what I, the point I wanted to make here, here we, I said to him too, I said, uh, after, the, after the church service, you're invited to our house for lunch. Oh, we we're looking forward to that. He had a little bit of an East Indian a- accent. but So anyway, and then he said, uh, can I bring a friend? And I said, oh, sure, bring your friend. So they came, and he, he did his, uh, his message that morning at the church. And uh, then we went for lunch, and... Uh, he, his wife, his two little kids, his friend, and his friend had brought his girlfriend. So anyway, we're sitting around our dining room table. I, just, I still remember it, it was, it was such a unique experience. Here were Susie and I from Canada, Jason and Jody, and their two little kids from India, his friend from South Africa, and his friend's girlfriend, I believe she was from South Korea. And we were all having lunch together at our house. And, and you know, we had a great time and a great visit with these people, even though we were scattered from around the globe. But I thought about that a lot. And I, it, it came to me again when I was studying for this. We are one body. And the thing that united us around our table in our house was we were we had enjoy we enjoyed a common faith in the one true God. It doesn't matter what country you're from. And, and it, was, it was just such an example of what the, what the universal church is. And I, I'll never forget the experience. And I'll never forget Jason's message. He was, he was a great speaker. I'm glad Jody recommended him. Uh, he had four points in his, in his sermon as well, and they all started with G and he talked about jonah and he uh, his first point was great story great storm great fish great god did a great job so after pentecost as i said the, the birth of the church occurred after pentecost the coming of the holy spirit and after pentecost jewish and gentile believers would be united in one body and this was something very new to believers at that time there was there's was quite a rift between jew and gentile but but after that it became one body and we sing in one of our hymns we are not divided all one body we one in hope and doctrine one in charity The Church of Jesus Christ always has been and is now and always will be one and undivided. Our scripture reading for this morning, Ephesians 4, states that those who belong to Christ possess a sevenfold unity. Verses 4 to 6, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all these unities are spiritual unities they're not physical and they're not organizational before we leave this section on the church being a body let me add this a person may live without certain parts of the body some of us farmers have lost parts of our fingers or whole fingers or even part of a hand or um, and you may have lost part of a, a part of your body and a person may live without certain parts of the body but i bet you never saw a body living and functioning without a head the life of the lord jesus is to flow through every member of his body the life of Christ is manifested through us. This is to be the character of the church, his life through his body. The third picture, the third B, is building. In Old Testament times, the, the house of God or the tabernacle was built according to plans, uh, built according to God's pattern. He instructed, this is how the temple should be built. The tabernacle should be built. Later, Solomon built another house called the temple. What about now? What about today? Acts 17, 24. God, who made the world and all things in it, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Where does God dwell now? Ephesians 2 two chapters ahead of what we've read before So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the Saints and Are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the Apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord In him you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul writes, you are God's building, and 2 Corinthians 6.16, you are the temple of the living God. And any good building, as you well know, any good building needs a good foundation. If it doesn't have a good foundation, it's apt to crumble sooner or later. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is also referred to as the chief cornerstone of this building, 1 Peter 2.6. The church of Jesus Christ is not constructed on the shifting sands of man's opinion or human philosophy. It is built upon the living Christ and the infallible word of God. Many years ago, The pastor used Psalm 127 verse one at our wedding. That's a long time ago. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. And he encouraged us to make God the center of our marriage and keep God the center of our marriage and it would stand. Only living stones become part of the structure of this building, 1 Peter 2.5, you, Also as living stones are built up a spiritual house so you and I are referred to as living stones resting on and Joined to Christ the living chief cornerstone On Christ the solid rock. I stand all other ground is sinking sand sinking sand now it gets even better the fourth B The fourth B stands for Bride, Christ Church is a Bride. Yesterday afternoon we were at our grandson's wedding, so it fit right in. uh, We really really prayed for good weather and God answered our prayer. They wanted so desperately to have an outside wedding at, uh, at Lara's parents' place near Brandon and everything worked out. It was, it was just great. It was a small group, uh, but a very intimate wedding because it was p- close family and a few close friends. And uh, our, uh, our younger son Terry officiated at the wedding, so it was a very, very uh, family thing and, and very special. So, Corey and Tamara, there's nothing wrong with having a small wedding, it's just great. You're, you're, you're going to have a great wedding too. But I'll, I'll never forget. It was, just, it was just such an intimate occasion. Christ's church is a bride. First, we saw the church of Jesus Christ as a brotherhood comprised of children of the same Heavenly Father. Second, as a body with Christ as its head. Thirdly, as a building built on, uh, of living stones with the chief cornerstone and foundation being Christ. Now we're going to look at the church as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, the next chapter to the one we read from, we find Paul explaining the lovely relationship which exists between Christ and his church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We know that the Adam of Genesis is referred to as the first Adam and that Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The church's relationship to the last Adam, Christ, is, if we can use this comparison, is like that of Eve to the first Adam. I'll try and explain this. Even as God ordained that Adam should have a bride... So we also ordained that Jesus should have a bride. This bride consisting, as I said before, of all born again believers worldwide. How was this provision for Adam accomplished? We know the story out of Genesis two. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. I'm using my imagination here a little bit, but don't you think maybe blood came out of Adam's side? He had a rib removed, and maybe later a big scar remained? I think it might be. It doesn't say that. The last Adam, Christ, shed his blood, physically died and scars remained, the Bible tells us. His death was necessary to bring his bride into existence. Acts twenty twenty eight, the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Ephesians 5, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Paul Van Gorder, many years ago, in one of his books that I have at home, he imagines it like this. As Adam looked at that mark on his side, he must have reasoned, if it were not for that scar, I would not have Eve. I would be alone. And when Eve saw that scar, she must have thought, I never would have existed except for that. And even so. Christ bears the scars of Calvary in his hands, his feet, his side. Were it not so, he would have no bride to share his glory throughout eternity. This union will be fully consummated when the entire church is caught up to heaven. Revelation 19:7. let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his bride has made herself ready. As we wrap this up, you may be asking, what does all this mean? What are the implications for me? What are the implications for us? What is my responsibility? We mentioned brotherhood first, or we might like the term family better, doesn't matter. Because I belong to the brotherhood, to the family of God, I have a responsibility toward every other believer. I quoted earlier John, 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We sing, we are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Christ's Church, the body, is not a club, it's not an association. Or denomination, etc., etc. It is a living organism, a living body with Christ as its head. And Jesus, as head, manifests himself through his body, the church. That's us. That's you. That's me. Your name may be on some membership roll, but unless you are joined to the head, Jesus Christ, you are not part of his body also if you are a member of Christ's body you are gifted by the spirit to, to to minister to others in regards to Christ's church as a building you and i are the raw material for this building the living stones built upon the living foundation jesus christ and even today the lord is adding to the church daily such as would be saved. And as regarding the church as the bride, 2 Corinthians 11, I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We are not our own. God desires total surrender of all I am and have to the heavenly bridegroom. In closing, let me, let me say this. In case we didn't know. The church is made up of broken, dependent, imperfect, hopefully teachable, forgetful, troubled, formerly lost people. They have no perfection to boast about, except what has been graciously given to them as an undeserved gift of God. Yet this is the church so protected by the cross and power of Christ that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. A great truth. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, for the encouragement, the assurance, and, yes, even the challenge that it presents to us this morning. You invite us to become members of Christ's body, to be joined to Him, our living head, forever. Help us always to depend on You for strength, for guidance, and for wisdom, so that we might function as You have intended for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.